on the move. This is Mike Africa Jr. And this is my podcast where we illuminate the issues and struggles of the people, inform the uninformed and give you nothing but the truth. On the move is here to disrupt the system and spark a global revolutionary change. On the move, on the move. This is Mike Africa Jr. We are back. This is 2021. We're here today with the second half of the story of Mumia Abu-Jamal with Pam Africa who is the chairwoman of the Uncompromising International Concerned Family and Friends of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Last week, we heard about a little bit of uh, backstory on the MOVE organization, Pam's history and how she got involved, how she decided that she wanted to support the MOVE organization. And now we're here to talk about the trial of Mumia going forward to his conviction, his unjust arrest, the whole thing. And now we're on the trial. So Pam, welcome to the show. On the move. On the move. Thanks for having me back because this is a heck of a story. It's a heck of a story. Even though this story is a 40-year-old a, a story, it highlights a lot of the issues that we as Black people are still dealing with today. Police corruption, unjust jail terms by judges. We've seen so many issues with the court system and the quote-unquote democracy in America. And Mumia Abu-Jamal is a microcosm of the issues that we deal with, not only in the city of Philadelphia, but in the country itself. But let's go back into the story of Mumia. We're talking about the trial. He was railroaded. He was sentenced to death. Many people from around the country and outside the country have supported Mumia. Why do so many people support him? Because we were able to get the facts out in the case. And what, the are, what are the facts. facts? What are the facts? The facts is that Mumia is innocent and that it's been a complete railroad in his case. One of the ones that, you know, um, stick out, you know, the most is, you know, the bullet. What about the bullet? The bullet that when they say that Faulkner shot Mumia, the way they tell the story is that Mumia came running across the street and spun Faulkner, you know, around and started, you know, shooting. And Faulkner winds up getting a shot off and he shoots Mumia. The only problem with that, all right, Faulkner's laying down, the bullet should have went up into Mumia. But the bullet that Mumia had was a bullet that went down. And what the um, government say is what happened there is that the bullet did go up, but it did a U-turn. And uh, on his did a bone. U-turn. Oh, yeah. It hit a bone with the reflected down, did a U-turn. Reflected down and went back out. And also, you know, the impossibility of that, you know, happening. Is it, is it also true that I heard Lynn, Wash- Lynn Wineglass Mm-hmm. said that there was, um, Mumia did have a gun. He was licensed yes, to carry did. a gun. Yes. It was a thirty-eight, Right. And the bullet that the officer was shot with was a forty-four. Right. And the whole thing about the gun and the bullets, when we look for the evidence, they said the bullets wasn't there. What do you mean the bullets From the evidence there? room. So the evidence room that the police keep all their evidence all their to make evidence. sure that they can grant this trial, The where, where are the bullets? They disappeared. They disappeared uh, from the police. uh, Yeah. You know, because the bullets were shattered, the Uh pieces disappeared. And they never gave an accounting for what happened. They said, oh, well, you know, it's not there. This is evidence. So the bullets disappeared. Right. The thing that murdered the cop disappeared. And now this man, Mumi Abu Jamal, is on trial to fighting for his life and the evidence that would convict or, or free him is gone. Oh, let me say this. It was pieces of the bullet. Pieces uh, of the no bullet. Fragments. There. So, fragments, yeah. So, okay, there's so many people that support Mumia. Obviously, there's something wrong in this case. 
there's a lot of people who say that Mumia is innocent and he she, even if he's guilty, he didn't get a fair trial. Mm. There's all kinds of things that are swirling around about the case itself. Right, you know, and the terrorism that went on there, because people who were due to testify for Mumia, uh-huh. cops visited their house, even during the post-conviction hearing, a brother by the name of Singletary, who said he saw the whole thing, he had his own business on North Broad Street, and a lot of, the, you know, the cops used to come in there, until he told the story of what he saw. He saw the person who shot Mumia and saw that person run down the street. What about him, though? William Singletary? William Singletary. What did they do? What his did the police... business, they used to go there. Um, they had people, you know, break his windows and stuff, you know, out from there. He had to move, and he left and moved down south. And uh, what was happening to him was so bad. Same thing to Billy. Billy Cook. And all his business. And all the cops used to come there. You know, it's not no hidden thing. They went there and were turning his tables over, you know, and harassing him. He was another witness that was supposed to testify. Did any of these police face any type of like um Veronica Jones was another. Were they reprimanded in any way for their treatment of for what no. they did to these witnesses in Mumia's case? No. Not, not they got they just did it, got they away were with able it in Mumia's to case. Do it. And I remember during the post conviction hearing, um, they said that Singletary was home and a witness, a witness. He said he heard this knock on the door. He said, and all of a sudden, he said the cops was in there. They had him sit down, and they told him, you know, what they can do to him. You know, he had to come to file one day and testify. And uh, when he got to court, Leonard Wineglass, the attorney at that time, told the judge, told everybody in the courtroom, and because uh, he was refusing to come. And uh, the judge said, you know, well, where is he? They did nothing about it, ordered the cops to go get him and bring him in. Some other people, you know, went, you know, went with him. And Wineglass gave the names of the people and all who came there to get him was the sheriffs. And all intimidating witnesses, you know, right out. That was, you know, stuff that was going on in that courtroom. It was Veronica Jones that was intimidated. And it's all plays out. It ain't something that people um can't see in the trans in, in the transcripts. It's in the um, newspaper, like when they when we found Veronica Jones, because in 1982 she testified. Let's talk about the prosecutor, Joseph McGill. <sighs> you growl when you hear that name. Yeah. Why? Joseph McGill. He was involved in the, the whole thing with my family. You drop, you know, the whole bomb dropping and everything. In Mumia's case, Joseph McGill. He's prosecuting the case. What did he do? Because he's pushing for the death penalty. Yes. He's trying to say that Mumia Abu-Jamal not only killed Daniel Faulkner, but it was premeditated. Right. What's that all about? What the Sabo said, I'm going to see to it that they... Fry the nigger? Yeah, yeah. And that's what that was about. That whole trial was just not justice. And when people saw what was happening... People reacted. And you know, by the time the post-conviction hearing happened, and you know, it was clear to people, like when he was found guilty, the movement was bigger. It was more so the people in the city or maybe the um, tribal area. Uh-huh. But by the time 1995 hit here, we had a worldwide movement. We had what was known as Millions for Mumia. I had to try to get my head back to Joseph McGill. Joseph McGill was the one who um, was part of the training of Ron Castile with the um, 
how to choose the perfect jury. I'm trying to remember. There's a lot. McGill. There's a lot. Because it's so, you know, many right, things. Right. You know, so many So Jack people. McMahon, so he trained Jack McMahon. This was his thing to how to get, you want, you don't want black people on the jury. I remember there was a tape about that. Right. You don't want black people on the jury. You don't want, you don't want people that are the hardworking people that are actually think about sending Thanks. someone to jail. You, you want people that are just going to try to convict. Right. And in fact, during that trial, they got rid of one black woman and they had another guy who said that, you know, he believed Mumia was guilty. They kept him. The trial hadn't even started. What's the significance of that? They, if he believed that Mumia was guilty, that's his opinion. We ain't in the trial. So, and, all, you know, if you said that, you know, I believe he's innocent, you would have been thrown out. And that's the way to go. If you would, he would have said, and not only just in Mumia's case, if you was in that jury selection pool and you said, I know him and, um, and I think he's innocent, you're not allowed to be there. And it should be the same way when you say you think that, you know, he's guilty. They threw a black woman off and, uh, and brought a white man in who said he already believed that he was guilty. There's a lot there. There's a lot of history in there. Let's, let's come up to right now, where we are right now. This is after appeal, appeal after appeal, case after case, lawyer after lawyer. Mumia has seen so many millions of people support him. Celebrities, activists, Angela Davis, Danny Glover, Dave Richardson, state representatives, politicians, street activists, you name Presidents it. Presidents of countries. Presidents of countries. President Mumia has the key to city. He was awarded the key to city in France, right? And, uh, like he, he's an honorary citizen. Honorary of citizen of France. He has his own street. Saint-Denis. In, in Saint-Denis. A lot's happened in this 40 years. Right now, Mumia Abu-Jamal is still in prison. He's fighting for his life still almost 40 years later. Where is the case right now? You know, people really got to understand the, um, the dynamics of, of Philadelphia, okay. the terrorism that goes on, you know, through here. Uh -huh. D.A. Larry Krasner, who is a progressive, um, you know, well, that's what they say, a progressive, you know, lawyer, you know, to fight injustice. Uh -huh. He filed some papers and, uh, you know, and the papers was actually saying that Mumi was guilty because what he did, he upheld things that was written. The past proceedings? Right. Past court proceedings yes. that were unfactual right. and he biased upheld, against Mumia. He upheld things. Here's one, you know, one of the points that was there. He said when the cops you know, brought Mumia into the hospital, he says uh, with Danny Faulkner was in another room dying, they brought Mumia in and they put him on the hospital floor and uh, because he refused to walk. Now, he investigated that, you know, and he was, you know, fighting, trying not to, so they couldn't put the handcuffs and things on him. And when he said that, that's not the scene. He must have didn't read Desi Hightower's testimony. He didn't read the testimony of the woman who seen him. He couldn't have read the information from the doctors who seen, you know, who uh, brought in. This mummy was beaten. That's how come he couldn't stand, you know? He refused to walk. He couldn't walk. He was shot with them steel boots. They stomped him. They kicked him. 
They rammed his head into a pole. You know, them trying to handcuff him. You know, I wasn't there. But you know what I'm saying? You know, you can't, you, you know, I can see the resistance. You trying to live. When this man described the scene, when he know the scene. And then he called Mumia's, Mumia did have a 38. He who called Mumia? Krasner. Uh-huh. He called the protection Mumia had because he had a gun. He was a cab driver. He had been robbed. A legal carry gun. He described it as the, the instrument uh, of crime. Yes, yes. You know that was a defense mechanism. There, it was not a um, carry. You know, like you carry a gun. You know, and you want to kill somebody. It's how they word things. The Batson issue, and that's a whole lot to get into. And uh, he said, pointed out that, you know, um, there was things that should have been filed that wasn't filed. But he, in, in his thing, he didn't say that these things were illegally thrown out. Things that was to be introduced. Rachel Wolkenstein, who was Mumia's one of the lawyers at the time, when she went to put it on record, information of what was going on. The judge had her because she kept insisting. The DA was saying, to, in fact, the DA told the judge and uh, have her taken out because they didn't want what she was saying on record. And she said, it got to go on record. And uh, so they arrested her, took her out. This is intimidation. They arrested the lawyer in the courtroom, another one, Leonard Wineglass, and, uh, because they had a stack of pictures over there that needed to be seen. Our lawyers hadn't seen them. Why didn't Mumia's lawyer see them? Because the DA didn't turn them over and all to him. So they was demanding to see him. So they, um, Wineglass and his crew, his lawyers that was with him, they got the pictures. They asked for a break so that they can look at pictures that was a part of the crime scene. And the DA was telling them, no. He said, you know, um, let them see them. So when you in a case and you got five people, five other lawyers, four other lawyers there, you need to investigate the pictures. So they asked for that. The judge wouldn't give it to them. So they over there looking at them. Wine glass would look at one, pass it on. The other ones would look. And uh, and the DA said they taking too long. Again, they asked for, you okay. know, recess so that they can, you know, actually see the pictures. You know, these things here is things that they refuse to, you know, he didn't look at. He didn't look at the fact that, you know, the lawyers was not given, you know, the time. He didn't look at the fact that the information that was there where there was a ruling. Oh, this is what I was trying to say. They stopped Rachel Wolkenstein from putting the information in. This legal stuff is sort of complicated. The DA, Krasner, and his filings, they didn't file such and such papers. They didn't because they didn't allow them. So when he go and look at things, and uh, it's not there. But his job is to investigate the whole thing. There's a lot of uh, support for Krasner from activists mm -hmm. who feel that he's progressive. They feel that he's on the side of the movement. And he's doing a lot of things that supports their movements. Why? What is the controversy? Why is there this split happening right now? Okay, the split is happening simply behind the fact that, like, uh, uh, attorney Michael Cord, who I was on his show, he pointed out that he had investigated this case, and, you know, he's been telling people for years that Mumia is innocent, he's factually innocent, and he lays out all the reasons why he say this. And he's a part of 
Krasner's transition team. uh, Attorney Michael Cord is a part of Larry Krasner's transition team. No, he, you know, Michael, he was invited to be a part of it, but he he wouldn't be a part of, you know, his transition team or anything on it because he is a supporter of Mumia. So he separated himself, you know, from Krasner at this point. To show you who Krasner is, Krasner said when he became DA, what he would do is all those crooked DAs that have framed people thinks he was getting rid of all of them. It's going to be a whole justice slate here. And he did. He fired. He fired about half. Yes, he did. Of the yes, attorneys that were old guard attorneys mm-hmm. that were responsible for the imprisonment of black people that served un. Thousands of years That's unjustly right. That's right. throughout the city in its history, right? Yes, indeed. He fired he a bunch of them. Yes. And he fired a bunch of cops. Yes, he did. Right? So what's the problem? The problem here is that, number one, first chance he got to do something, he hired or, you know, he brought in on his transition team. That's mm-hmm. the team that helped him get everything together. One of the worst hitless spitting son of a guns that is a judge, a former judge, Ron can't steal. So what's the what's the issue with it though? Like he The thing is the who he hired to be the head of his transition thing was crooked. And also this is who we're in court with and he know it, you know, uh with this person and uh um because he was responsible, um he refused to recuse himself and uh from the trial. I mean during during the trial. Why did he need to recuse himself? And uh, because and uh, um, was he part of the original trial? FOP. He's an FOP he, member. You know, and a lot of people had these things overturned, and uh, because he's a lifetime member of the Fraternal Order of Police, and he's dealing with a case that is um, where a police officer was killed. So Mumia had asked him to recuse himself. Of course, he didn't. He passed judgment on Mumia, which was against their laws. So we're in court because there was a Williams case where Williams filed suit against him as well and won. That's how we were able to get back in court with, um, you know, with Momia. And, uh, you know, through Castile. that. And this man have a whole lot of, you know, bad history with him. So you got this progressive lawyer. The very first thing you do is you put him up there as part of the transition team. Look, when I heard that, you know, that day, I got on the phone and I'm calling people. They said, oh, no, he didn't. Uh, These are all the progressive, you know, organizations and stuff. You know, no, he didn't. No, we're going to do something. What are we going to do? I said, let's be at tomorrow. We'll be in front of his door and uh, his law firm and uh, protesting about Castile. Ron Castile. Ron Castile, you know, being on a transition team, especially after what he said. Right. But you have you have Michael Court who he asked to be on the team from Mumia's side. And then you have Castile, who he asked to be on the team from the FOP side. People right. would say that that's fair. Right, right. And uh, no, it's not fair because, see, what which one did was fair on that transition team. But the fact of who you select, when you're saying, you know, Michael Cord is a activist, okay, lawyer. Ryan Castile is a crook. He's responsible for the death of people. He's responsible for people who are in jail today that are innocent. 
This is who he is. And if you're a progressive and people have had demonstration about him, how do you want to put in him there as your transition person. So immediately we jump into, we demonstrated, you know, about that. And then there were other things that we had seen that was happening during that time. All these good things that Krasner did just goes out the window when it comes to dealing with Mumia and other people. On Krasner's watch, many juvenile lifers have come home. They've been released. Right, right. Ghani, so, Salim, brothers. A lot of, lot of, lot of people. Why is there such an issue with him, with Mumia, with with Krasner? Krasner? What, what's the? You know, um, I think it's fear, mm-hmm. or it could be the DA looking to be the next mayor, the next governor, and you cannot do these things without, you know, um, the FOP sanctioning. Let's talk about the fear part. Right. What is it about that? Like, I, we we were talking about this in the car on the way up here, mm-hmm. and you know, people they want to do certain things when they get in office. You know, sometimes you know things happen. What's your think about that? Right. Um, I do know for a fact our lawyer, Mr. Wineglass, uh-huh. the FOP threatened and intimidated him. Rachel Wolkenstein during the trial, the beginning of the post conviction hearing, they went to Thirteenth and Locust where they had a hotel that they were staying or on Locust, you know, right uh-huh. in the area, the Holiday Inn. They ended up preparing for trial the following day. You had Jonathan Piper from Chicago, Rachel Wolkenstein from um, New York. You know, you had five lawyers from different places. They knocked on the door. They took wine glass into a room, and on they stayed there, and the cops stayed around them, you know, like watching them. And then when they came out, wine glass said, we got to go. They forced them to move out the hotel that they were in, and they wound up moving to another hotel over in Jersey. This is the lawyer that's on the case and everybody else. This is a matter of, this is documented. This is in the beginning of the trial. I wanted to hurry up and, you know, put put this out there. But Wineglass was saying, no, we got to stay focused on Mumia's trial. This is just a diversion to take away from, you know, what it is. So, you know, I... Okay, you know, then we'll do that. I don't want anything, you know, uh, to be responsible for anything that would harm, you know, Mumia. But this was his fear not to say anything about it. But Rachel Wolkenstein, who was one of the lawyers, she wrote up a piece on it. And, you know, and she brought it up, you know, so that people can see it. The fear, the intimidation, you know, the beating of people. David P. Richardson, the Honorable David P. Richardson who was a state representative. He spoke out against spoke the out. injustice yes, yes, powerfully. Yes. On the day that Mumia Abu-Jamal was sentenced or, or his death warrant was signed, mm-hmm. Dave Richardson came out to the protest and he spoke against the injustice yes, of Tom Ridge and the racism mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And what happened to Dave Richardson? That was on August the 12th, August 1995. And uh, uh, you used to know his statement. I, you know, I, by I remember heart. the statement, right. five minutes long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, he was murdered. Could you say what his statement was? Can you uh, remember? I, <laughs> I don't know if I can remember the whole thing. This was 20-something years ago. But um, I remember him saying that um, he started the speech by saying, on the move, assalamu alaikum. And then he said, free mumia. He said, free mumia several times. And then he said... Um, I'm the state representative, but I'm a black man first. And I'm appalled and ashamed to be in the city of Philadelphia with a chump like 
Tom Ridge at the helm and he talked about Mumia being innocent and we needing to fight for justice for him. Uh, shortly after that, that was that was on August 12th. What happened to David P. Richardson after that? David P. Richardson, the night that they had scheduled an execution date for Mumia and the power of the people, the power of the people, backed that death warrant down. And the night that they made their speech on the 12th, on the 17th, Dave was dead. The, the significant it, thing about that is that Mumia's execution date was scheduled for the 17th. The 17th. And they killed, they knocked Dave because they couldn't knock Mumia. And the fact that, you know, he stood up and he told people, he said, you know, not only is, um, you talk about the Miserant, is um, the Black Garden seat, he's a lot of black cops and all who called for, you know, the release of Mumia. The Guardian City. Ron Hampton used to come. He was the head of the National Association of Black Policemen. He used to come with his daughter in his arm at Mumia's um, demonstration. In fact, what's significant about that demonstration, too, that it was over 10,000 people in the city of Philadelphia who was protesting and all because they had signed the death warrant and people just came from all over. So it's a possibility that when it comes to a lot of other people that uh, that are in the city of Philadelphia, such as juvenile lifers, um, longtime in prison, uh, children of at risk, uh, people of at risk, you know, health and whatever. They're being released, but they're not necessarily a threat to the establishment or whatever. Right, but right. when it comes to Mumia Abu Jamal, it's possible that Krasner may feel intimidated or afraid for his life or whatever because of the history of what's happened to other people who spoke out in support of Mumia. You know. Yes, you know, and talk about some of them people that got hard. The Yale Loring Conference was happening a couple of years ago, and Krasner had made Judge Tucker, who's a black judge, was granting Mumia the right for an appeal to have a post conviction hearing so that, you know, the evidence could get out. Mumia never had a trial, but this would be something where all the evidence could come out. When Krasner appealed that, he was due to be the keynote speaker at the Yale Loring Conference and some students at Howard, at uh, Morgan, they saw that and they got together with uh, with the people at Yale and showed them the facts in the case and they had been filing and stuff and they got together and they wrote a statement out and they disinvited Krasner. And what they did, they brought Mumia in as the keynote speaker at this Yale prestigious lawyering conference. And damn near every class was on, wound up being on Mumia. Mumia wound up getting a standing ovation because some people didn't know about what was happening there. But Krasner wound up dropping that appeal. So I'm saying, you know, the power of the people forces people to do the right thing. What he has just done, what he needs is the power of the people and are to actually stand up. Because we have people all through California, Mar Gibbs and all, you know, he's 227, Lenny, Lenny Kranz's mother. And all, you met him? Uh, yeah. You went with Mona? Uh, no, I didn't go on that trip, but I remember that, oh, that yeah, time. I've um, seen the videos of Ramona talking Ed to Ed Asner. You know, it's just so many of them that Daddy Glover. 
Oh my God, Danny Glover. You know, he came, we was having this demonstration for Mumia putting out information, and we were supposed to be at the Clef Club here in Philadelphia. But the intimidation that happened with that, they wound up not allowing us to have the event there, which Danny Glover was a keynote speaker. Police intimidation. There was another time, you're talking about intimidation, we were supposed to have something at another big place in Philadelphia and all black. They wound up saying, you know, these brothers, um, they had a place right at Broad and Walnut. These brothers wound up saying that they didn't invite us to speak there, that, you know, we wasn't scheduled there. They didn't know anything about anything happening for Mumia. And people want to, like, boycott them, you know, behind that. But that fear, you know, I don't know what all went there. But Henry Nichols of 1199C wound up, you know, having us come there. And the FOP, what they did, and a jury writer came in from France, what the FOP did when we got there for the event, it was cops. Oh, my God, it was cops galore. And they tried to stop him from having it. He came out and he said, we paid for, you know, the place. And there was nothing wrong. He saw nothing wrong with what it was that we were doing or ever we had did. So we had it there. But the intimidation when he told them that, you know, we had the right to be there and he wasn't going back down having us there. You know, they came out in New York. Here's one. And Orinum has set one up in New York. They was talking about when we came up there to demonstrate. I'm talking about the cops, black cops sent us the information of what these cops had, had uh, was actually planning on doing. I'm talking about the white race. To try to cops. shut the event down. Shut the event down. How that place was hooked up, it was right next to a um, bikers club. Uh-huh. They was going to have someone start a fight in there. They was going to have the areas closed up. And when people tried to come out, they was going to attack them. This is all facts. This ain't something that is made up. This stuff happens. So that fear that he have, Anthony Jackson, who was an attorney, had it. Lynn Wineglass, and uh, and several times with him, we had another group of lawyers, and uh, they had a communist background, and uh, and they was no joke. They was no joke. They wasn't going to have it. So, so you so getting it in the courtroom, you getting it outside on the street, tampering with witnesses. That's a crime. Have they ever tried to intimidate you? Shh. Man, they done broke my leg, split my head open. They beat me so bad in my um, side that, you know, I didn't have control over my urine for months. They threw me in jail, and I was pregnant with one of my children at that particular point. Tried to intimidate me, you know, in the jail, but... John F. had hooked up something that they wound up putting me out. So I've been put in jail, thrown out of jail, beat in jail, beat in the courtroom, beat on the streets, locked up, thrown out. And I'm still here because you cannot allow your fears to stop you because it only angered me more that they would think that this, I mean, they beat me so bad that WRTI, when they had arrested me, all this media was outside. Uh, a judge by the name of Raphael Blunt came down into the cell where I was at and uh, at the roundhouse to visit me, you know, to make sure because people was on an outrage. I mean, they were outraged outside there. My tooth, and because uh, they took a blackjack and rammed it down my, you know, in my mouth. The, one of my teeth had actually lodged in my lip. My front teeth, they had knocked out. Have I been ever intimidated? Oh, um, you know, and this was done before. 
a huge group of people. What keeps you going? John I- Africa. And I don't say that like, you know, in no mystical. When I saw a move on May 20th, 1977, take the stand that they took, not just for move, but for everybody about the air, the water, the soil, listening to them, knowing that I'm hearing the truth and I'm feeling the truth. And these people took a stand and said, it's time to stop. They themselves had been beaten long before on May 20th. Babies had been killed long before they killed Janine's baby. They killed Rhonda's baby. I'm, you know, this person who had no feelings at one time had these feelings, you know, for the air, the water, the soul, for people. I really care about what's going on here. I truly fell in love with Move and the teachings and the principle of that. And when I go into these things and get involved in these type situations, I go and not know tomorrow the next month I can leave here and they can pull us over beat us up but it will not change because they don't change me stopping from doing what I'm doing don't stop the fact do that mean I won't be beat no more do it mean that our children will not be beaten locked up killed These films is something that is so strong inside of me that caring came from move. And I know a lot of other people get this from them, but it was through the teachings of John Africa and what I saw and went through during this time. Um, you know, people who would just break off from me because a crooked politician, D.A. Seth Williams, I never forget. You know, he was the first black D.A. And it was all these people that was around me who supported Mumia. Politics is something else. Let's talk about it. Let's get explicit. Yes. We're talking about the black people now. Right, right. Because the black people, once the black people become politicians, it changes things. Yes, it did. It changes things because black people want to support black people. Right. And the word first, first, our first black DA, our first black mayor. And uh, but let me tell you about this the first black DA. He ran on the platform saying Mumia was guilty. He was through all the trials and he going to see to it that Mumia get killed. You know, he was going to make sure that Mumia would be executed. If he became DA, this is the power that he had, right? So I go on our black radio station and I'm kicking out information about who he is, what he said. And when I got off, people was telling me that people I knew and are people who supported Mumia. I'm saying what he said. Who became the problem? Me. Me. I became the problem when I would go to different places and say who he is. And if he's that way with something that the world see and all his other colleagues see that, you know, what he's saying is a lie. I became because it was the first black but then they wound up having to lock him up. He said Lynn Abraham, she was the top DA who was the judge, who was another one. I think she ride on a motorized uh, witch broom. He called her mom, mom. And when the deal came down, and I'm telling people this man is dangerous and keep pointing out stuff. When the deal came down, they had to lock him up because he had taken his mother's money. And or spent her money. He was misusing the uh, funds in the DA's office. This man, he just got out of jail. This was the man who said that Mumi was guilty. This is the man that people turned their back 
on me and made me the problem over him. This is the same thing that's happening right now. But what I'm saying is the reason why people be that way, you know, is because we do nothing about it. What I'm asking people to do with District Attorney Krasner, wherever you see him, bring up the question of Mumia. He's saying that Mumia is guilty. He's talking about killing Mumia. He said this to Maureen Faulkner. He's guilty. Based on what? How is it that, that Maureen Faulkner, the widow of Daniel Faulkner, the slain officer, how is it that she is angry with, with Krasner and the movement is angry with Krasner at the same time? Her anger was because he stepped out of line. So she should be pretty happy right about now then, huh? Oh, oh, yes, she is. And all, but you know what? When Judge Tucker granted Mumia the right for that... Um, to have that, inf- that evidence brought in. Right. When Krasner appealed that, you know, when people rose up on that, I'll never forget the day that Tucker, you know, said that she acted crazy in that courtroom and all came out, called me a B. And they promised her. They left there. They had this meeting at the Fraternal Order of Police. And she was sitting there and she was crying. She said, we lost. We lost this. After all these years, we lost. And they was telling her, oh, no, we're going to come up with, you know, they was going to come up with something. And they did, the King's Bench Act. At that point, that's when he flipped. He was supposed to file some papers. They did the King's Bench Act. In between that time, I don't know what all they did to him, said to him. But when you see these papers and what he said and telling her that Mumia is guilty, that's another part of that, that fear, that intimidation and things that happen with elected officials and things. Where we're at right now, still battling for Mumia's life inside the courtroom. And uh, But Mumia's battle for his life is going to be won on the outside. He lived today because they said that they was going to execute Mumia. But the power of the people is what beat them back. The power to be able to get all this information, you know, out there. Right now, he's also running for office. He who? He, Krasner. They tell you to accept the lesser of the two evils. John Africa told us evil is evil. We don't accept the lesser of the two evils. That's why we in the problem that we in right now, because we keep saying, let's accept the lesser of the two evils. Put this evil one up there, and we can get a little something from him. So in Mumia's case right now... Uh, We're asking people to go to our site, and I'll get the information, and uh, we have... Um, the campaign to bring Momia home. We have the mobilization with the number four for Momia. And France, we have the French Collective and our for Momia. If you go to our site, you'll see all the different places. Go to mobilization for Momia with the number four. There's videos, there's audios. And our, our brother Kaepernick, who stood up for Momia, you know, put information out about Momia. All that's there. Why would this man who have all these people already after him come and deal with the situation with Mumia? Because he got the facts. Can nobody get around the facts that's in this case? And they're still trying to kill Mumia because, you know, number one, Mumia is a freedom fighter. He's been that. And you know, they tried to um, frame Mumia when he was a young Student at the age of 15, he was the uh, Minister of Information for the Black Panther Party. He went to college through God. He's writing God knows how many books. And uh, he's the subject of God knows how many 
plays and plays yeah. and documentaries and all. You know, go up there. The FOP and more reading them hired a black guy by the name of Tigray Hill, who said he was going to prove to people that Mumia was guilty. Well, when his film came out, we had, you know, Johanna Fernandez had did, um, you know, her film. What was the result of the of the film? I think they beat Tiger Hill's butt. <laughs> and uh, because going in, oh, you can see them all hugging Tiger because he did this thing for them. But when they saw that film, all you have to do is look at people when they came out. Look at Maureen Faulkner when they came out. Look at them. They wasn't hugging um, Ty Gray Hill. You can't take the take a lie and make it the truth. And uh, when people came out there, there was a lot of people that was more supportive of Mumia that didn't you know, know nothing about. But there was questions. They came to us. The case of Mumia is a, it's polarizing. It's, it's a huge case. It's a long, long, it's decades long case. How can people get in touch with you? People can get in contact with me. Uh, we're coming out with the um, new newspaper for Mumia, uh, the Jamal Journal. Okay, and so the, the websites that you listed earlier, they can go to those websites to and get those, in touch yeah. with you right. or other members of the movement that are ready to disseminate right. information. And, and my and home phone, you know, my, my cell phone is 267-760-7344. People call it, you know. <laughs> They're going to call it more now. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, I hope they do. And let me tell you, I do get back. And, uh, you know, because I know it's going to be can't leave a voicemail message. Your voicemail me box is full, I'm sure. Yeah, but you can text me. <laughs> you can text me. So we're going we're gonna to stay up on this case. We're going to follow it. And we're going to make sure that as things develop, we'll bring you in so that we can stay updated on it and make sure that we keep a close eye on this because um, there's a lot of injustices and we need to make sure that we bring our brother home. Right. We could do this all day, literally all day long. We've been here for not as long as we need to be, but... We got to end this one. That's it for the day. Pam Africa. Pam Africa. Give it up for wherever you are. If you can, give a round of applause for Pam Africa and recognize that Pam Africa has been in this movement since 1977, fighting for Mumia since there has been a Mumia Abu-Jamal in prison. And she continues to do so. We're on the move with Mike Africa Jr. Pam Africa on the move. We'll see you next time. On the move. Yo, that's it for the day, y'all. If you learned something new or you like what you heard, Drop a raised fist emoji in the Instagram or Twitter at On The Move Podcast. And make sure you rate, review, subscribe to keep this movement moving. You got a comment? Hit me up at Mike Africa Jr. On The Move with Mike Africa Jr. is executive produced by me, Mike Africa Jr. and Tommy Oliver. And produced and edited by Crystal Hill. And made for the people. 